You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on RBMA Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasanick. I'm going to be playing some music for you for the first half hour, and then uh, we have a special live set from Mark Verbos performing on his Verbos electronic modules. It's like he brought two of them today. He's going to do more of an ambient set, so stay tuned for that in about half an hour. And as I said, in the meantime, I'll be playing you some music. This first track is from Chino on Holger Records out of Germany, uh, Stefan Benemann's label does the Knock Digital Festival had us out there in August. Um, so again, stay tuned. This is The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Yeah. 
Hello, you're listening to The Monk of New York on RBMA Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. Uh, just to give a quick uh, callback on what we were playing, the track before was Mike Parker and Donato Dazi uh, on Spazio Disponsible, or however you pronounce that. That's probably not how, but, you know, I'm American. And uh, right now you're listening to Gunnar Haslam with second version off of an upcoming album on The Bunker New York. Uh, just got this one back from Neil last week, Mastered. So this will be the first time anyone's hearing this. Uh, looks like we have about 15 minutes or so until we get into this verbose live set. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kastanik. We just heard uh, the Israel Vines remix of SAF, forthcoming on Ravage Records. Before that, Ryan James Ford. And before that, uh, Gunnar Hazam, forthcoming on The Bunker New York. And coming up next, we have Mark Verbos in the studio. He brought two of his Verbos Electronics modular systems. He's going to play live for a while. We're going to chat for a bit. And uh, I think uh, without further ado, we're going to go into this live set. You're listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. Uh, Enjoy the set. Thank you. 
listening to The Bunker New York on RBMA Radio. For the last 45 minutes or so, we've been listening to Mark Verbos improvise on his Verbos Electronics modules. Um, Mark Verbos is a Midwest rave legend turned, I guess, uh, synthesizer Eurorack legend now. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the gear you're playing here since it's such a important part of what you got going on these days i mean i, I see you have you have two racks of verbose electronics modules here well uh i guess the story is that um the way you're presenting it is though i i uh, was a musician and then became a, a synthesizer builder or something like that but the truth is that those things were always going on 
side by side. Right, right. And um, way back in the day, um, the the electronics synthesizer building portion of it was just a DIY sort of alone time experiment and learn thing. But um, over time, that became uh, a more important part of my, my professional life. And um, honestly, I thought that when I became a full-time synthesizer manufacturer, I thought that that was admitting defeat as a musician and it would be the end. But um, somehow it, it um, rebooted my, uh, my position as a, a musician. So it allowed me to um, go out and in a way showcase the, the instruments that I build, but um, showcase them by using them and, and showing what I intended them to be used for when I was designing them. So, um, right. Cause like after maybe somewhat of a lull in playing out, DJing, performing live, although you've, I mean, in New York, you've been playing the whole time I've known you at least sporadically. I mean, lately you've, you've played Berlin Atonal, you played Berghain, you played the bunker, you played no way back. Yeah. Well, yeah, arguably, um, I was, yeah, uh, I've been more successful since I quit than, <laughs> than when I was doing it, you know, as my main focus. But, um, yeah, uh, well, I, I always did live performances f since the beginning of, uh, of making music. I thought that was a really important part of, um, of, of my voice for, for making electronic music. It wasn't, it wasn't too... Make re uh, make recordings at home and then go out and DJ and and never actually come out and play the music live. And I've always thought that it was important to to make the the live performance actually be special in that situation. So part of that is that I don't like, or at least it's not right for me to do anything that's um, kind of rehearsed or pre-recorded or anything yeah, like I've that. Yeah, I've never seen you do a live set that wasn't clearly on the fly i mean and, i'm pretty sure i've never seen you use a laptop at all or anything with what like pre-recorded samples yeah or? that's just not um what i'm trying to do i mean there are artists out there who have hit records and then they feel that they have to go out and perform the music that's on those records and um to me that sounds like a prison of some kind where i have to keep you know stand on stage and play the same thing over and over again yeah, especially uh, as a live performer yeah, so um, before, when I was doing the live performances in the 90s, I was always using just off-the-shelf stuff, um, mostly the old Roland boxes and stuff. And then as, um, as I started to, to make more custom stuff of my own, then I started to use some of that. And then as I started my, my own company, then it seemed like it made sense to just use that. And um, so at this point... I'll throw in a, a drum machine here and there, but synthesizer-wise, it's pretty much just this modular stuff that, that I manufacture. Yeah, I mean, for the set, everybody just heard you had an 808 here. It seemed like you touched it a little bit, but you were mostly focused on the, the modules. You've got a Mackie mixer here, and then what's the little box between the Mackie mixer and the Oh, that's a, it's a, um, a reverb pedal, a okay. Walrus Audio Descent. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's it. It's a, a reverb, a drum machine, your modules, and a mixer. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is that when, um, when I designed the synthesizer modules, 
the the focus was supposed to be on the interface and the usability the the, the um the way that that they can be interacted with is supposed to encourage live performance and, and um, make it really musical in, in its approach. And because of, because of that, really what I was designing was the module that I want to use. So they're all really suited to me doing this. Are they based on old modules or synthesizers that, I mean, I know you have quite the collection of vintage synths. Are some of these modules based on... I assume the things you really liked about the old, yeah, the old large, machines you're using. Largely, I was um, uh, I'm a specialist in in um, specifically Bukla instruments from the 70s mostly, and um, I did a lot of repairing of those, and I did some uh, custom parts for them, um, but they're very very rare. The original ones they they made something like 30 systems, so I have one, but. The vast majority of people out there who have an interest in synthesizers don't have access to that, and certainly wouldn't be ready to pay the kind of money that they're commanding right. now. So, um, the nothing that's in my product line is a is an absolute clone of anything of that, but it's right. um, it draws influence. Um, of this original idea of designing from the the, the interface um, first came from Don Buchla when he was making his instruments. So um, the biggest influence that I draw from that is this philosophy of, of um, putting the most emphasis on the, the interaction that, that the user has with the device rather than um, focusing on how to make a circuit do a certain thing and then just giving it a front panel. It's more like making a front panel and then figuring out how to make electronics do that. Right. And you're actually, I mean, I've been to your shop. You're, you actually manufacture these all yourself now. Yeah, we have a, a small shop um, for one more week here in New York. Right. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but um, we have um, a few people. Well, my wife and I have the company. She does the, the um, like administrative work, and I do the design work. And then we have uh, a few other people who work for us, and we might be the only synthesizer company like this that makes like Eurorack stuff that builds their own stuff entirely in-house. There are a couple of brands that have their own manufacturing, but they also manufacture a bunch of other brands, and we don't do that. Wait, what, what, uh, what, I mean, I know the story, but what, what prompted the move from having somebody else manufacture your modules to just getting the pick-and-place machine and doing it yourself in your own shop? Well, it's scary, but, um... You know, because it's quite expensive and big machinery and you have to have a place to put it and you have to operate it and all that. But um, mainly the, the motivation for us was just to have the control of the timeline so that we could um, go from the dreaming up something to, to manufacturing it really quickly rather than um, dealing with an outside contract manufacturer. We would have to get into some sort of queue where... Sort of like when you manufacture records. Yeah, you know, it always <laughs> reminds me of that. It makes me think, man, should we should we have bought a record press? Should I have a record press in my apartment? I think that uh, <laughs> didn't um, Richie Hodden and John Aquaviva buy a record manufacturing uh, warehouse I, I in, heard, in the I'm 90s? I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I do remember hearing that. I know Jack Black opened his own his own plant in Detroit now. I mean, it's would be a very expensive undertaking. And then operating it, I know from the record plant, operators that I talk to it just seems 
it's a very specific ancient knowledge and then each machine I mean, I've literally seen guys in the plant with a hammer, like, you just have to nudge it just like this every three minutes to keep it. I mean, it's really, they're very old. I like that. That's like machines. The, the black arts, you know, the things yeah. that you could only learn by um, hanging out with, like, an old man who's yeah. been doing it for 50 years. Yeah, the ma- I mean, mastering and cutting, too. Like, sure. you know, who knows how to cut a record? How do you learn how to do that? Right. You don't, there's, I mean... You and just have to be an apprentice. There's a yeah, there's a, a forum for it, but I, I imagine if you go on that forum and you don't know anything, they just tear you apart and I, make you not want to be a part of it. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I'm imagining that in my head, and it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's largely what um, synthesizer electronics are, because if you would go to school for electrical engineering now, they they teach you a lot of programming and um, digital. Um, stuff, but you don't really learn about how to make a, a stable analog oscillator or something like that. So the only way to learn that really is to um, hang around with a bunch of older people who've been doing it for a long time and look for books from the 70s and that kind of yeah. thing. So, I mean, that's where all of my knowledge came from and um, a series of really um, fantastic coincidences that landed me with the right older people older people to to learn from right and um you mentioned that you're only in new york for one more week uh what's what's happening what's oh, coming next uh, well we're moving our whole operation to to berlin um i used to live there uh 15 years ago and um, it's been that long yeah <laughs> well it's been it's been <laughs> i remember when you lived it's, there it doesn't been, seem like that long ago it's 14 years since i moved here <laughs> and um and you know, I was there for uh, three years, so um, I have some connection to it. But really, what's happened is because um, the places, of course, changed a lot. I mean, just like New York, it, you know, if you go away for like a year, you come back and don't recognize anything. Yeah. But um, it's changed a lot, so it's not really going back to exactly the same place that I left. But um, we've been going there a lot for the synthesizer business and the distribution company that we work for work with for all of Europe is called Alex4 and they're based um, in Kreuzberg and we have a good relationship with them and we're there a few times a year for that and we feel really um, excited to be to be a part of the I mean we for a long time we've, we've called uh, Berlin the capital city of techno but now I think it's also the capital city of modular synthesizers so it's um, cool place to be yeah i mean i've seen you at atonal and other festivals kind of holding court surrounded by synthesizer (laughs) people for lack of a better term like magnet location for every um like top level synthesizer nerd in the world why is that is that just because of the distributor you're talking about there or just because there's so many musicians there what's why why is berlin so important for modular synthesizers right now a little bit of all of those things i think um as far as is uh well the 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 distribution company that we work with is called is called alex4 it's owned by um, Andreas Schneider, who also owns the store Schneider's Laden, which is at Corpus Autor and yeah. is generally recognized as the best synthesizer store in the world. So that's the first part of it. And then the, the number of underground musicians that are in Berlin and are drawn to Berlin from all over really makes for a global community of this kind of thing. And in a way, that's what New York is, but... 
Um, I think that the the nice thing about Berlin is that it doesn't favor the big guys the way that New York does. Like in general, not just like in a scene, but just in business or in life, it seems like New York is always like given to the highest bidder, whereas Berlin is really um, always looking out for the little guy or like trying to make it possible for probably a better plan place to give like a mom and pop business a shot. Yeah, and our our um, lawyer told us that. Berlin will be really happy to have us because they have no manufacturing. The only business is entertainment, so they're really right. You're you know, you're going there with a legitimate business that's building things and pumping money into the economy and creating jobs. I assume. I mean, are your employees, are any of your employees from New York, going to Berlin as well, or do you have to hire a new staff? No, we're we're hiring a new staff, but um, we'll be a little bit bigger when we get there, space-wise. So we'll be able to have more people. So. Um, I'm not really sure how big it's going to be, but um, right away we're hoping to get maybe three or four people jump on with us. Do you have the commercial spot locked down? Yeah. Like a lease where you're going to be doing business? We already have a place that we're moving into. Um, so in January we'll be in that space. And do you have to ship the pick and place machine and all the gear on a boat or how that's where it gets fun uh, <laughs> yeah yeah um we got a, a shipping container and every all of my music equipment my collection of synthesizers the manufacturing equipment the um the sewing machines from uh, from our apartment the um you know everything is going in there how long does that take um well the different uh, companies that we talked to about it gave us different time frames and we had to pick the one that was the slowest so that we would be able to go there then go back to america in two weeks and go to the um the nam show and then go back to, to germany and be there in time to, to receive it so that one is six weeks but some of them were as short as like 12 days wow um so you mentioned to me before the show that these are there are two full systems that you were playing on here so they're identical in that the idea is basically it's like all the modules you've ever manufactured are in there um we i have everything here except the touch plate keyboard but um neither of these are exactly the systems that are out there um we don't out of our shop we don't really make systems because our distributors buy all the modules from us as individual pieces and then um, there are some configurations that were put together um, by them where oh, up until this the bark filter processor which we just released um, a couple of weeks ago up until that everything we'd done could fit into one of these cases and a keyboard but now um, this one here and you can't see but um, is the new one and then I had to take out some to put that new one in so um, it's no longer possible to have one of everything in a box but that just means that you have to prioritize a little bit and figure out what it is that's important to you. And is the idea to continue to build new modules or just to keep reproducing the ones you've already designed? Um, well the idea for me is to keep designing and we haven't actually discontinued anything, but I imagine at some point we'll f we'll find that certain ones just don't merit um, continuing to produce. But um, this is a big transition for us by moving to another country. So, yeah, of course. Um, I, who knows how this is all going to play out? Like, um, we have to wait for all the equipment, and then we have to get set up, and we have to get started. So um, that also involves um, hiring 
a different company to do the metal manufacturing and buy different boxes and buy all different stuff. So um, it's a real fresh start. So you've we'll got to do you've got to do all your taxes properly in Germany too. I heard they're stickers. Yeah, you really have to hire somebody <laughs> professional to do that. I mean, it, even people who have been in Germany their entire lives don't try to do those taxes themselves. Right. So I mean, all in all, this is uh, this is quite the the undertaking. Yeah, but you know, it sounds like fun. Yeah. Well, it's a good opportunity for us also to be not only just in in this hot spot for what we do, but also to um, be in Europe and and travel to some of the synthesizer events that are popping up in every city around the world. I mean, every time that we go to one of these things, another handful of people come up to us and say, "You should come to Budapest. You should come to." Um, you know, Barcelona, you should come to Glasgow, like all these places and it's not really practical for us to come from America to Europe for one yeah, like by... 200 attendance uh, synthesizer event but if we're, if we're flying from within Europe then it's not yeah, so bad. On, hop on a flight for 100 bucks yeah. 100 euros, sorry yeah. um, and the people, the people that I, I see here in New York I pretty much will see them as much as I do now anyway. Um, you know, you're over over there a few times a year too. So Yeah, I mean I'm I'm gonna be there to play Trezor and see you the first the first week that you're there. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it seems like pretty much everybody comes through Berlin at some point. Um, what else should we talk about? Can we talk about uh, did we talk about on the last show what was that before or after you played the bunker showcase at Bergheim in February. I don't remember. I think it was before. I think it was before. Mm. Can we tell that? Can you tell that story about what what happened as you were about to go on oh, at yeah. Bergheim? Well, what happened was um, we had. Well, I mean, the first part of the story was the was the flight. We were on a flight on Norwegian Airlines flight oh, that, right. that we found out was a canceled flight on the way to the airport. Yeah, because, you, you and like fourteen of my friends. Yeah, and and that meant that there was a, a mad dash in the airport for everybody to try to find an alternate flight to take and it w- the the one that Norwegian Airlines was offering it was Thursday night but it would have gotten us there after the party on Saturday right. <laughs> so so we had to take whatever we could get but then um, we got there on Saturday and, and uh, you know the normal thing to do at Berghain is to, to sound check at like you know six or something in the yeah, evening the live, on Saturday the live sets have to do it and they and they uh, they always run the live the live acts on Saturday night at some point. So I don't remember which time slot I played that time, but one time I played at like nine in the morning, and one time I played seven in the morning, or something like that, or five, or whatever it was. I think for the bunker showcases, Clay Clay opened, and then Romans were playing live, and then you played live. So it's probably like five or six. Whatever it was, uh, you know, it's. It's fairly late, but basically what they said is, um, you know, because of the chaos that ensues, like with all the crap piled up on the table and, and people doing God knows what, they really can't run, they can't have live acts on Sunday night because they would have to sound check on Saturday afternoon and leave the gear set up for 36 hours. So yeah, it's they, not really much. Yeah, I mean, so. for people that don't know the live, I mean, <laughs> the table where people play live at Berghain is elevated slightly above the dance floor but I mean, people on the dance floor could like walk over and touch your gear well and the party lasts <laughs> for 36 hours so they basically try to 
get the live sets on as early as possible and tear it down so they don't have to worry about a table full of gear in the middle of the chaos of the dance floor. And people do climb up there to dance or (laughs) more importantly, pile all their like drinks, like empty bottles and drinks where they had some kind of like like fabric covering up the gear or something. Oh, that'll protect it from but beer. But it, it almost like gives a false sense of security because the people don't even realize what they're putting their drink next to. <laughs> right. So um, w- the funny thing that happened was that um, I sound checked and everything was great. And then we had so many people, we had like, you know, 50 people who came from New York and there's probably another 50 people from here that live there. So, you know, we were hanging out by the bar and I was, you know, talking to Derek or something, having a great time. And then... Um, Sonia said, don't you think you should go over there and get ready? You know, you're starting in like <laughs> seven minutes or something. I was like, ah, everything's fine. <laughs> and then um, I, I went over with just a couple of minutes to spare and realized that my entire modular was not turning on. And <laughs> and um, so then we launched, uh, the sound guy Martin and I launched into this panic where we were trying different power supplies and plugging it through converters and not through converters. And then I was... I actually took all the modules out on stage and was taking them apart, like out of the system one at a time to see if the power would come back. And then finally I pulled out, there was a, a little space like all the way on the left side of the system where I didn't have a blank covering it. It was like a half inch wide space. And when I pulled the, the connector out, the power connector out of the, the complex oscillator, which was the one right next to that space, the power for the whole system came back on and smoke came out of the module <laughs> while I was standing on stage in front of a thousand people or whatever. So <laughs> in silence or actually not in silence. It wasn't in silence. They, yeah, Martin just told Romans, Romans just he's continue. like, just uh, keep going until you're otherwise. <laughs> Which, and then, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, they were kind of helping me while they were still playing. They were like, you know, giving me tools and spares. And the funny part was the module that burned was the only one that they had in their system of mine. Right. So then I, I actually just turned to uh, Gunner and said, can I just borrow that for a minute? And we <laughs> took it out of his and put it into mine. While and I he started. was playing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I remember I was playing next and I was talking to Martin. I'm like, shouldn't I just play? Should I just start my set? And then Mark can play after me. But they absolutely didn't want to do that because that meant all the live gear would be on stage for another four hours which they didn't want. Right. Yeah, and there's no way that you could, like, break it up where you play, like, an hour, and then I play, and then you play three more hours. Or I just, it's... Whatever. It, their German brains are like, we couldn't... No, we just... He has to play. Yeah, now. and... I mean, I've... Even at Bunker in, in New York, almost every time we had some major problem where, like, I had to, like, go into a panic. Oh, or yeah. Things not sinking. And, like, I forgot weird, about that. There was know. there was the one time, it, I can't remember if it was Galapagos or Public Assembly at the time, but you're just like, there's something wrong with the power. None of my machines are sinking. It was when you were playing before yeah. the, uh, before you were playing on Verbose Electronics and it was all the Roland gear. And yeah. I, we sorted it out somehow. I don't remember how. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was that whatever weird power thing, like, went away but i think that we that was the time when woody mcbride was playing right and we had him go on he was supposed to be after me but we we were just like you go and then while he was playing i tried and i'm like oh, okay now it works <laughs> so the then, time the time that i booked woody mcbride to play an all acid set on march 3rd 303 and mm-hmm. he didn't play a single 303 line yeah pr- pretty much <laughs> oh. Well, you know, he's a he's a strange character. Yeah, he is. He is a strange, shadowy character from your from your past. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
All right. Well, I guess that about covers what you're up to these days. Um, where, if people want to look at your modules online or touch them in person, how do they how uh, do they do that? Yeah, we have a website, um, verbuselectronics.com. You can, uh, or we're on Facebook, or huh? Or if you're in New York and you want to see them, get your hands on them. They're they're in Mimi Antenna on. Um, on Bedford in, in Williamsburg. Oh, right, in the little mall there. Yeah, the Japanese guy's store. Um, and if you're in, if you happen to be in Berlin already, then, you know, go to Schneiderladen. Cool. So people can go there and actually have, like, hands-on experience with the modules. Yeah, I believe they have everything we make in that store because they're, you know, down the street from our distribution. Right. Right. Cool. Uh, well, thanks for joining us today. That was a great set. Looks like we have about 15 minutes left, so we'll play some music. Um, is I guess I'll start with um, a track from the EP you did for The Bunker in... When did that EP come out? 2015. 2015. Uh, still waiting for the follow-up. There's, there's Why plenty. did you look at her? <laughs> <laughs> Is she making the tracks? <laughs> no, no. I was, I was thinking. Have you been talking to him? No. <laughs> no we, uh, we talk. You're, yeah, yeah. you're CC'd on all those conversations. <laughs> you can chime in anytime. There, I have some, some material. I just, we haven't synchronized in the, uh, you know, delivery. Okay. Well, uh, okay. So with the last 15 minutes, we'll start with a track from Verbos called In the Back Room on the Bunker New York. And you're listening to the Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.
Hello, you're listening to the Book of New York on RBMA Radio. Just wanted to quickly say this is another uh, upcoming release on the Bunker New York. This is Gunnar Haslam, Scale No Flam. It's the Servido and Cudmore Bass Shift remix. Um, again, just mastered last week. This is a uh, world debut. Again, Gunnar Haslam remixed by Servido and Cudmore. You're listening to the Bunker New York on RBMA Radio.